0: Every leader has a strategy. Executing on that strategy is the challenge. If you want to learn how to effectively achieve what you've set out to accomplish, then this show is for you. Gain keen insights and listen in as leaders share their stories and challenges. Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation welcome you to Leader Dialogue Radio. Hello, this is
1: Duffy Dixon with Business Radio X. Thanks for joining us. Let me introduce our leaders of Soar Vision Group, Ben Sawyer, the CEO. He has more than 30 years of executive leadership experience, and he has significant guided strategy deployment experience. And he's worked with many clients to achieve dramatic, sustainable operational performance, and you've greatly improved incomes. Also uh, with me is Jennifer Strahan. Now, she is the president of business optimization services for SOAR Vision Group. Jennifer, you've partnered with more than 100 health systems and businesses all across the U.S., and you help them transform their strategic and their administrative operations. Now, we are doing what we call a deep dive, all right? This is the show after we meet with a business, someone you've partnered with. We had uh, on our show Lullaboo and this is, if you haven't heard of Lalaboo, their slogan is Simple Baby Wearing. We met with Brian Foss, who's the CEO, and Cameron Glass, who's the COO. Now, they have a number of products to help you basically wear your baby. And notably, Maternity Magazine called it the 2018 product of the year, the dad shirt. And this is a shirt dad wears with his baby right there. Now, he had the shirt on, and he had a toy baby, but the same size Mm -hmm. and weight as a baby, and it was fascinating. He's got other products as well. Tell me, we we talked a lot about their company, and they are in the midst of looking possibly for investors. What did you take away? What was the big takeaway from working with them?
2: So I can start. Uh, If I were to think about some of the key pieces that we really pulled out of last week's show is, again, they are at a point where they're looking for potentially investors um, for their company, which is interesting because they've had to do a lot to get to that point. And if you relate this all back to our lovely hierarchy of needs, which we refer to every single week, you can see some of the key pieces that they've really focused on. And the the thought the main thoughts that I had coming out of that were one, they have really taken an innovative approach in capturing the customer's demands through innovation and being able to tap into those demands and bring new products to the market. So they really focused on not competing in an already saturated market, but really differentiating themselves and creating, if you guys recall from one of our earlier, our earlier discussions, blue oceans. So creating a new market that is different from baby carrying with the baby wearing. Uh, the other things they've really focused on is how do they maintain a tight ship? right? So just like any small business, you have to really focus on how are we balancing all of the competing needs that we have for our time, our resources, and being able to remain financially viable as a company. And then the other thing that I just wanted to point out, and then I'll turn it over to you, Ben, is really around the culture they've tried to instill through looking at their leadership values, their customer uh, and colleague engagement with the company as well.
0: And let me just continue on with that particular thought. So We don't often talk about leadership and values as it relates to the organizational hierarchy of need, but it permeates it. Because as I think we did mention, every organization exists in the shadow of the leader. Right. So if a leader is not a servant leader and is not understanding that the customer Value is what comes first, and therefore the people that are directly interacting with the customer have to be supported to be able to be effective. The organization's not going to be, be, be able to be effective. So clearly Brian and Cameron have demonstrated that quality of, of leadership. There also were some interesting things in last week's radio program about value decisions they made. So one of them was that they bootstrapped. Right, they they could have made a choice to do something different, but they chose to bootstrap. And the other thing that was a value for them was that uh, they decided to give two percent back. Remember, they do these micro loans for for um, uh, single moms in Africa, and so far they've done over a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. But they were giving that away when they were not paying themselves. That that's a value statement. It just plain is mm-hmm. so whenever organizations are thinking about how to maximize their performance and we've talked now to quite a number of them those values and those kinds of leadership characteristics permeate that
2: and it ties back to baldridge so if you guys recall we obviously have our partnership with with baldridge and when you look at the framework of the baldridge performance excellence program it is one of the the very first category is leadership because to your point it really serves as a pillar across every other component of the hierarchy of needs and it will decide if you are effective in every other layer of your hierarchy.
0: Right. And the and the organizational hierarchy of needs this week was called by one of the Baldridge examiner consultants that we work with basically a visual Baldridge. In other words, it's, it's giving a pictorial representation of a lot of what the expanded Baldridge framework is all about, um, which is great. So, um, so we're dealing, when we're dealing with investments and investor profiles, with the whole comprehensive organizational hierarchy of need, and we got into that with them. So Jennifer, I don't know if you want to lead off with that as it relates to kind of what were some of the key and salient points across the hierarchy of needs that kind of stood out from last week's discussion. Mm-hmm. And then I also want to talk a little bit about some of the things we didn't maybe mention, which is no company's perfect, and and we've been working with Lullaboo for a while, and there were some challenges along the way, just like every other organization. And so we could talk a little bit about that, because, uh, again, when you're putting together an investor deck, it's everything that you're doing right. But when you're running a company, it's how do you continue to do the right things even when you hit hurdles. Okay.
2: So... It's an interesting concept because I think a lot of small business owners are curious about what this looks like. So, as a small business owner, you are constantly wearing many hats, and you are, of course, um, encountering many different hurdles that are coming up, and you're trying to manage your day to day while at the same time balancing those hurdles, creating innovation in order to grow and continue to grow across across your market, or even new markets when you're going through that. So one of the things that really comes to mind for me is, and I I want us to really dive into it more, is how do you get ready for investors? And how do small businesses start to think about that? Because that can be something that's very different and out of a a typical um,
1: business owner's perspective of what they should do there. Right. And especially how, when does a business know that's something they should think about? And once they think about that, you know, you guys talked a lot about it. You have to have your ducks in a row before you even approach people about being investors. But how, how does a company decide, hey, maybe it's time to bring on other people? Mm-hmm.
0: So fundamentally, an investor wants a return. Okay. So they're going to ask very focused questions on validating that they're going to get a return. What it's going to start with is, so tell me what you do. And if you go on for paragraphs, you just lost them. Ah. So, what Lullaboo can say is we are simple baby wearing. Got it. Okay. So, why is that significant? Well, because, and they talked about this last week, there's a large baby carrying market. But within that, there's a niche of baby wearing that improves the quality of life for the parent and the child. Now, as an investor, I'm interested because I understand what they do and I see a differentiated value in the, the market that if I invest in, we can exploit and I can get a return. So that would be the very first thing an investor looks at is, tell me what you do, is it significant, is it something that if I put my money into, I could get money out of?
2: Mm-hmm. So it goes back to the very first three questions that we covered in our first show, which is how do you differentiate your company? How do you make sure that you're engaging your colleagues to be able to act on that vision? And how do you make sure you're measuring performance and continually improving to grow? So those three things come back to Absolutely. your investor. And
0: let me, let me tee off the last one, which is measuring your progress. So from investor speak, you're looking at two different things. You want to look at either the net present value calculator, which is really what kind of, if I invest, what kind of return can I expect based upon a hurdle rate, a a reasonable interest or hurdle rate. Another thing they look at is something called CAGR, which is acronym C-A-G-R, which stands for compound annual growth rate. So when we were Working on the investor deck with um, um, Lullaboo, they were they were showing a thirty one point two percent Kager over five years, which represented about a two hundred and eighty nine percent return on investment for. Her. So that's significant. Now, in that context, an investor is also going to want to know uh, how is the product recession proofed, mm-hmm. right? In other words, if I invest, I get it that you are telling me that that. There's that, but, but what are the market factors that, if it happens, would actually compromise that kind of a financial investment?
2: Mm-hmm. So, just to give an example to listeners and going back to Duffy's question on how do you know when you're ready um, I'll, I'll give you an example. My husband does real estate, so one of the things that he talks about with clients and potential clients is you know do we when do we put our house on the market and it's the same concept with our businesses. So when we have a business, you can either or let's start with a house. so if you have a house, it might be that you can put it on the market as is, and you will get x dollars for it right It could also be that if you put a little bit of work into it that you may get X dollars times some multiple. So you get a return that's higher. And the question you have to constantly ask is as a, as a homeowner, is this something that I want to invest in? Do I want to take the time, the money to invest in it and make potentially a higher amount, but there's a trade off there. And it's the same concept with small businesses or even any business that you're essentially at a, um, at the kind of, the next phase to grow. And it could be that you need investor funds to be able to do that, which is a lot of the reason why we typically reach out to investors to be able to grow faster um, or bigger than what we could on our own. Because if you don't need investors, that's essentially you're keeping more return in your pocket. Whereas when you bring in investors, you're also essentially sharing your profits with them. So being able to manage that tug of war on how much do I want to grow on my own knowing it might take me a little bit longer versus can I hit the market faster? Can I hit a broader market? But I'm going to have to share in that that profit a little bit. So, again, are you putting your house on the market as is or do you want to invest a little bit and be able to get a higher return for it? And
1: I imagine that's a, a key thing you need to consider because it all sounds great. Let's get more people putting money in you need to remember that means more money going out that's and not right. necessary to
0: you that's right Right now another thing that they brought up uh in last week's show was the decision to invest in patents and yes. trademarks and copyrights and that's just cost you're, mm-hmm. you're paying patent attorneys uh you're going it's through processes it's a and 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 you know again when you're bootstrapping it those are really really tough decisions but from an invest, investor standpoint they want to know that you're protected. That, that you have something that somebody else is not going to just come along and steal the idea and that sort of thing. So so those kinds of decisions are critical um, for success and, and also for being able to position uh, with investors uh, from the standpoint of attracting their input into your business.
2: Yeah, so it really comes to have I had a short-term or a long-term vision. Because I can go through, and they alluded to this last week, is, you know, I can uh, not worry about my patents. I think Cameron talked about this, and bring in money now, or I have to invest more money in my patents and in intellectual property, but knowing I'm protecting my business in the longer longer haul. Right.
0: So one of the things I wanted to talk about this week, we just didn't get a chance to talk about it with them last week, is the whole notion of productive partnerships. And Mm -hmm. we haven't talked that much about this in the radio show, but productive partnerships encompasses a broad spectrum. So one part of a productive partnership is your channel relationships. And you heard Brian uh, describe that he was trying to test out which channel would work best. Right. And he he stumbled across Instagram and realized that that particular social media channel was better than the other ones. And remember, he also said they learned fairly quickly that getting the product into consumers' hands was the best way to garner. uh, So that is all about determining when you're trying to tap into demand, which is under uh, customer value, how are you going to uh, uh, use productive partnerships to make that happen. Uh, Two other things about productive partnerships are your raw materials suppliers. So, you know, are you going to buy U.S.? Or are you going to buy international uh, because of price point differentiation? What about quality? Uh, all those sorts of things. And then also partners that you have along the way that are helping you. And having worked with Lolabu for a while, those there were some tough decisions that went on uh, with that that we can get into more detail on. But, but that's a big part, too, of company success and also position yourself for being attractive to investors.
1: Who else you're partnering with? Yes. And how those partnerships have gone?
0: Are impacting your business, whether it's channel partnerships or internal raw material partners or just partner partners. that are trying to help you.
2: Mm -hmm. And thinking about this, it ties back to values. Do you have shared values in leadership, either whether it's internal leaders that you're bringing on as part of your team, or if it's a different company that you're having a symbiotic relationship with, with mutual benefit? Those are things that you really want to know because in tough times, your values are what stands out. And so if you get into a bind, you want to be with someone who has shared values across the board.
0: That is so true. And without getting into detail, that was one of the challenges that Lullaboo had, was making sure that they had a partner whose values were exactly shared, that they could work together, make good decisions together, all that, that sort of thing. And there was a little bit of a struggle, and they worked through it, it was great, but, but every business has challenges, and that was an area of challenge. Another one that I recall quite clearly was when we were um, uh, looking at their raw material suppliers, and there was going to be a significant increase in in pricing per component and because lullaboo is priced very competitively in terms of its suits shirts and so forth that was going to be a big a big deal so uh, we had to work through uh, a negotiation with that supplier to make sure that that the price point was gonna be fair and equitable and didn't reflect an increase that was gonna be passed on to a customer. And I have to hand it to them. They negotiated that very well, but that's another example of a productive partnership that can waylay you if you don't know how to manage it and make sure that you're negotiating effectively.
2: So one thing I will point out, because I think a lot of businesses struggle with this, especially when you are a small business and you're not a Walmart, you don't necessarily have the power of the market that you do in a small business. When you're working on negotiations, there are a lot of times when small businesses don't necessarily think about putting in their contracts things like quality assurance right. and making sure that you have to manage, you know, the quality of the product you're getting in and how do you respond when maybe that quality is subpar to what your initial um, negotiations or expectations are. And that's a challenge, I think, for a lot of companies, especially when they are not a big Walmart and the majority of businesses we know are not.
0: Right. And, and by the way, this comes back again, not surprisingly, to value-based decision-making. Right. Right. So what are you going to say no to? Yes. Where's the red line? Right. So if you have a definitive value about, for example, we're going to produce in the United States. Um, and, and we want it to be produced there, you may incur higher costs. How, how important is that value to you? Uh, in Brian's case, it's really important. Everything is made in the United States. We had that conversation about using f- uh, uh, foreign companies that or countries that you could get lower price points. And he said no. It was no. He really wanted to be able to build it in the United States. So that's that's an expression of uh, a value decision. What you're talking about, Jennifer, with quality is another one. When is quality flexible? Mm-hmm. And and if you're trying to do a a large channel partner that is willing to do high volume and there's a lot of money, but they're, you know, they want to compromise quality. Is that okay? Or, or when do you say no?
2: Right. And there's this constant balance with speed and quality, yes. right? So oftentimes the faster we get, quality will often suffer. Yes. Or the more we focus on quality, speed will sometimes suffer. Yes. And we have to look and balance. So a really good example of this is if we look at the airline industry. So if you think about the airline industry, when they're going through takeoff and landing process and they're looking at the safety of flights, they operate on a very effective process. You don't hear about plane crashes. I mean, there are millions of of flights going in before you ever hear about a poor incident. On the flip side, what do we hear about a lot whenever we're talking about airlines? We lose luggage or other things that occur in the service piece where there's a trade-off. Do we get our person there wholly or do we get their, their... baggage there all the time so sometimes it's a question of. i mean obviously if i had to choose i want to be there personally in one piece but you know on the other end (laughs) I can always go buy whatever (laughs) don't have yeah it's okay you can run to target or whatever (laughs) right so but on the other end it's a business decision and Mm -hmm. i think values help reflect that and Mm -hmm. you have to figure out what's our tolerance both Mm -hmm. from us as a company but also from our customer what is a tolerance that they will not only accept because they have to, but accept because they're willing. for It it still meets their demand and their needs.
0: Right. So another uh, expression of value that um, Jennifer and I happened to have lunch with Brian and Cameron before last week's radio show, and we talked about this particular um, uh, expression of values, which I think is worth bringing up on this deep dive session, and that is there are some very valued associates that are Lullaboo associates. These people have been at it from the beginning. They're working hard. They're acting like owners. They're, uh, and, and so as the potential of investors are coming in, uh, potentially acquisition, um, it's important to get their voice. What is it that you want to see in three to five years? And once Brian is able to really get clarity on that, As investors are coming to him, particularly those that may want to acquire the business, that's a part of his value decision. So we asked him. We said, look, if if one investor came in and was, for example, at $250,000 higher than another, but the lower one actually matched what your associates wanted from a value standpoint, which decision would you make? And he said, I would take the lower one.
1: Well, and that's easy to say as Jennifer said it, this is something that until you're faced with it correct? it it you know how how much do your values mean and right. and, and when times are tough or when there's many other things that are attractive in the offer um, so that will be an interesting thing and that's something I guess that happens with every investor o- offer right I mean I guess it's your due diligence to make sure like you said it's a good it's a good match but that they're ticking off all the boxes for you they, as well. Yeah,
0: they are. So going back to the investors, they have a set of questions that they like to, to answer, but basically they all net around, is this a viable product that is well differentiated that if I put money in, I can definitely get a return? That, that's the net. And um, when SOAR works with a company like Lullaboo to help them put together an investor deck, we know what those questions are, and we help them uh, uh, compile an appropriate prospectus to be able to effectively answer those kinds of questions.
1: Is that a tough thing for the the business owner? It is. When you do that? I mean, we, we've talked about anytime you're partnering with someone, it's tough because you go in and say, what do you do well? What don't you do well? And sometimes that is a big slap in the face, but I imagine it's really tough to say, this is what people are asking. And
0: correct. Because the owner always wants to tell uh, the investor what is really great about the product to them like this is really cool and this is why it's cool the investor really doesn't care about that that's not the point um what they want to know is is it something that somebody will buy in a differentiated high volume way and does it have a high return on investment And is it recession proof and is it you know worth my putting my money in uh and and the limited time that i have
2: Right, so to your question, is it hard? Absolutely, right? Because again, every small business owner, you have invested your heart and soul starting up a company, building a company. Different companies are at different points. They're at, I think, year five, so there's still a relatively young mm-hmm. company that's looking at this. You have other companies that, you know, they're doing this 30 years in, or it's a retirement play that they're thinking about as kind of the next step. And when you invest that much time and energy It's very hard to, one, think about someone else coming in to run it or having a say in what you're going to be doing. Um, Or two, just being able to let go of that power in general. That's something where it's that control and and that trust. So you have to engage your colleagues and, and your team. And whether or not you're still engaged in that business some people stay on as a chairman of the board some people um, stay on in a salaried capacity some people completely cut all ties and oftentimes when you cut ties that means you lose often some intellectual property so there's there's these constant things that I would say when you're thinking about investors the best thing you can do is really sit back and think about what do I
1: want and you said you know we've talked about this that there's a number of reasons people look for investors. It may not just be, let's get bigger faster. It may be, let's give up a little of the control so I have more of a balance in my life. Right. Um, You know, or or, or I'm slowing down and I want, you know, I'm getting a little older, that sort of thing.
2: Right. So there can be many different deciding factors that lead to this, right? One would be, we talked about business wants to grow, and maybe it's access to capital to help that growth. Two, it could be time or resources or expertise. It could be something that you just don't have the internal expertise to be able to manage or get to the next level. really good example would be a, um, a company that's maybe a trade company. Where they've done, they've had very successful business in a certain field, but maybe it's not their area of expertise to grow that into a franchise or something broader. So sometimes it's about marketing power or it's a channel connection that they've already got contacts in different areas that can help. Bring exposure to whatever it is that you're looking for. So there's a lot of different things, or time, right? So we all we all have the same amount of time. So it's a matter of how do we engage our time in the most effective way possible. And I think this even would be I would love for you to share Ben your story um, or your example with our bullseye in terms of really thinking about how do you get all these things done because we do have the same amount of limited time. But yet you look at some people and you're like, how do you do so much in 24 hours right or in a year when we both had a year and i i you know couldn't even get a tan and yet you're over here like solving world peace like right there's a balance i know those people (laughs) please
1: ben how do they do it
0: (laughs) (laughs) so we had talked i think about this on an earlier uh radio program but it's called finding your platform and i cannot take credit for this this came from uh one of my executive coaches guy by the name of roger spoolman Um, who is very, very insightful. And so what he said to me when I was originally going to start my business is you need to find your platform. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, (laughs) what's that? And he said, well, think of a a target. And the bullseye is what energizes you. So everyone thinks that time is the limiting factor, but everybody has the same amount of time. What's varying is energy. So when you're doing what energizes you – you are in your zone, you, you've been there, time drops away, nobody can do it quite like you do, and so forth. So he says, you need to think back through your career as it relates to those times where you were truly energized, and because of that, you were in your zone, making it happen, time dropped away, that sort of thing. And he said, you'll get feedback from your colleagues and peers and so forth to say, oh yeah, that's, that's, that's you, like that's totally you. The second... Ring, if you will, of the target. So that's the bullseye, right? Is is, right. is your what energizes you? The second ring is what are what's your skill sets? So these don't energize you or deenergize you. You know you're organized, you're a good communicator, or whatever. Uh, but they are important in that they augment your bullseye, and so it's important to understand them. The third or and last outside ring of the uh, target is what deenergizes you. So a lot of people spend their lives in de-energizing environments or doing things that they really are not particularly good at because that gives them you know, financial rem- 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 remuneration or, or whatever. But they live unhappy lives because they're not doing something that actually energizes them. So, so his point was you know, God made you a certain way. He gave you a certain set of talents and, and gifts. You need to identify what those are and be able to, to leverage them and for business owners, that then translates into what they do. They should be doing something that energizes them. And the nice thing is it's it's unique, it's different than what others might have.
2: So what the challenge is for small businesses, you often have to have many roles. So sometimes you have to do all of these things while you're growing the company. Correct. Which comes back to the question of, that do I hire someone? Do I pay a salary that might be a break even in terms of what they might bring in? But it takes that off of me and lets me spend more time energizing uh, or on something that energizes me rather. And so you have to kind of find that trade off. It might be a vester. It might be it might be that we're going to not do this part of the company. A good example um, for for me is I've gone through many finance courses, but. I really don't want to sit down and do my accounting books. So I hire an accountant and they manage my books every single month. So right. that's something that I just don't want to have to do. And it, it gives you that, that balance to where I can focus on things that energize me and take things off of things that don't.
0: Right. And in your organization's team, what you're trying to identify is people who are energized by accounting.
2: Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> if
0: you can give it to somebody who's energized by accounting, that, that's, that's the, the, the beauty of it. Right. Um, So within SOAR, um, what's interesting is what energizes me as the CEO is helping organizations and teams find their why and fulfill it. And that has been characteristic of, of what I've done for most of my career. Now, that gets translated into a business proposition when we talk about what we do, which is everyone has a strategy, execution is the challenge, we help you execute right? So we align people with purpose to achieve exceptional results and help you do that. That is an expression of my personal energy. And then as I met Jennifer and connected with her on hers and go ahead and take that.
2: Yeah, yeah I, I've not heard the story. Yeah. yeah. So for me, it's kind of a balance where I really like Strategy. I like thinking about vision. I like think I'm very futuristic. And as I think about things, but I don't necessarily always want to think about all of the to do's to get it done. So uh, it depends. There's a balance where I can think about, I naturally tend to think about how do I get from step a to step Z. And I, at a high level I'm hitting, okay, I have to go to D and then I'm going to hit G and I'm going to keep going through, but I don't necessarily want to see every single sub piece. Okay. So I probably bring a little bit, of a deeper dive into the operational mix of how to get there, whereas Ben's very good about looking at it and really seeing the big picture and bringing all these stakeholders and pieces together um, and orchestrating it. And then we have other people on our team who like the detail, and I'm so grateful for them because that's the piece I don't want to do, and they're very good at managing every single in-between step to go from you know, A to B and B to C and so on and so forth.
1: And Ben, when you're doing your when you're coming up with the people in your company I imagine you need all those kind of people. Correct. Not everyone can't be the visionary.
0: That's exactly right.
1: Everyone can't be the leader. We understand that, but they do need to still have the energizing. I mean, mm-hmm. wh- where's the, where?
0: What do you all have in common? Right. The why? Well, yes. Yeah, so, so Jennifer brought up an example. Neither of us particularly like accounting.
1: <laughs> My mother does. <laughs> yeah, she's there an accountant. There you go. Exactly. So it yeah. turns she out, She loves numbers. She love. I mean, I don't get it. Right, like she's still working at yeah. age eighty-one. Right, she loves numbers. So
0: loves we, it. our chief financial officer Shane Sanders, uh, is an incredible accountant. He has his master's in taxation, and he loves that stuff. So, so there you go. Pass it <laughs> off, and away we go. Um, so each member of the team contributes something very, very significant. So, for example, when I first saw Jennifer at work, and I saw her facilitate a uh, a mini Kaizen event, basically. What she was doing and Kaizen, for those of the listeners is just means continuous improvement. It's a okay. Japanese term that means continuous improvement but it's basically you're getting a cross-sectional group together around a particular topic and you're trying to figure out. there is no detail missed when Jennifer is on it. She reads the room really well, she picks up on details, she figures out how to pull it together, make sure that no one's missed you know nothing's nothing's missed and that the process is being followed to a, to an outstanding conclusion. I've been doing Kaizen events all of my life. I, I, I'm quite a bit older than than Jennifer, so I've been doing it for the last 30 years or so. I cannot do it that well. I'll just tell you right now, I don't have that same level of capability that she has. That's an example of the the complementary nature of it, but you have to be intentional about it, and you have to know what you need to to make sure that your your team... That you're building out complement each other and doesn't doesn't conflict.
1: Well, and you also have to be secure enough as a leader, yeah, to allow that. Right. Really good point. Very good point. And, and that goes back, back a lot to about, trust. Right. Yeah,
0: right. Right. So um, w- I want to get to this leader thing a little bit more. I think for our listeners, they probably have heard the news about Charles Krautheimer dying. Yes. And um, and uh, I was a huge fan of Dr. Krautheimheimer's uh, and and he. They they are doing a eulogy I think tonight on on Fox about that I'm, I'm sure I'm going to listen to it but one of the things that stood out to me about him beyond the fact that he over overcame incredible hurdles to be successful he's a high level quadriplegic and yet he's a Pulitzer Prize winning um, uh, reporter and uh, he went through uh, medical school at Harvard as a psychiatrist after he had he had sustained his his injury, which is amazing, and graduating at the top of his class. So, so the idea of overcoming unbelievable odds and excelling in spite of all of that, he's, he's the poster child for that. But one of the other things that really struck me, um, and this is a characteristic of leaders, is that he spoke his mind based on what he believed to be accurate assessment. He, he didn't find fault with others even if you completely disagree with him he didn't demean you okay. but but he would cross swords on ideas because that's what he believed in and he spoke his mind and really a leader is um has an integrity to them they 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 communicate what they believe they do it in a respectful way um and, and they uh, overcome hurdles. They, they keep moving forward, as Jennifer and I often talk about, uh, as a reference to your favorite movie. Meet the Robinsons, Meet the for Robinsons. Those wondering. Oh, well, yes, yes. We haven't watched
1: that yet. Everyone, let's yeah, all watch Meet the Robinsons. It's, <laughs> it's, it's still it's great. on my list. It, it,
0: by the way, it's, a, it's a, a snippet of the Walt Disney story. That's actually mm-hmm. the, the genesis for Meet the Robinsons. But the point is, leaders work off values, and that's their sustainable legacy, whenever you find people that are basically just political so they're going to do it because they want either visibility power. or their or yeah power or alignment with the right crowd you don't have a leader when you find someone that's willing to stand in the gap move upstream speak their mind even when it's not popular do what's right say no when it's tough to say no that's what we're talking about with leadership and Then you see the evidence of success. And again, I've watched Brian and Cameron and Brian's wife, Carrie, do this. And that has been a hallmark of theirs is they're going to do what they believe is right, even though sometimes it is painful. Like, I'm not paying myself, but I'm still going to give 2% back to single bombs in Africa because that's something we committed to.
2: Right. And you know one of the things that comes to mind as you're talking about this with leadership and you mentioned integrity, it's authenticity.
0: It's authenticity. People
1: tend to migrate towards authenticity. And when, people know it. Yeah. Totally you can know see it. You can't play the game. No. I mean, you can't you people can't see it. Yeah, you can't make up authenticity. Right.
0: And unfortunately, you may not hear that about yourself until you're gone and they're right. utilizing you.
1: <laughs> no one comes but, up on a Tuesday and is like, Ben, I just wanted to tell you, you're really authentic.
0: Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but if
2: you think about shows like Friends, just to put a plug in, you know, I think it's Ross that goes out and holds his own funeral <laughs> just to see what people are going <laughs> to yeah. say about him. You can hear it early. If you really put it in your If you really try to do it, yeah. yeah.
0: But the point is, these are the things that make you. The, these are the things that people remember. These are the things that are your legacy. And leadership and the execution of leadership, which reflects your values, permeate the organizational hierarchy of needs. That's why it's not specifically articulated, because it is evidenced in strategy and execution. It is evidenced in how you manage finances. (laughs) It is evidenced in how you approach customer value. It is evidenced in how you do organizational effectiveness. And by all means, it's evidenced in how you treat your colleagues.
2: And going back to our original discussion point around investor prospectus and putting everything together they are looking at finances but another key component of what they're looking for is the leadership
0: absolutely they want to
2: see the culture and see what they're buying it's just like when when you look at working for a company you're looking at yeah is the company going to be around where i have a salary in in a year but who am i working with that's an important question and investors are also asking that same question is who are my leaders Who is it that I can count on and that I know is going to get this job done and it's going to help us go to the next level that's going to help us be able to achieve the things we want like ROI and differentiation in the market?
0: How how many times have you heard that when you've listened to business channels and so forth? I didn't have all the details. I wasn't sure exactly, but I really trust that leader. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I took a risk and I made that decision and it really paid off, right? That... That is a fundamental decision-making criteria is, are you authentic? Are you integritous? Do you know what you're talking about? Do you inspire confidence? And if you do... People are investing in you as much as your idea and your business.
2: And just to relate this back to when we had Dr. Peck in, and we talked about this and we said, if you put the customer or the patient first, finances will follow. Right. Right. It's the same thing. So if you've got a leader in play who will put the right things first, your finances, your market presence, those things are very important. Um, you're very capable of changing, moving, and and driving those things in the right direction with the right
1: leaders. It's neat to see you bring in these businesses that already are are figuring some of that out and pointing out their strengths. You don't just go in and point out their weaknesses. You point out their strengths. And each week, it's really interesting. There are different strengths of these companies. But all of it goes back to their leaders and making sure you start it, with it them. It absolutely
0: and does. Every organization lives in the shadow of its leader.
1: And that is why we call the show leader dialogue correct thank you so much for joining us for this week uh presented of course by soar vision group and the baldridge foundation ben jennifer i really appreciate it it's been a really good two sessions here and um Lullaboo. Good luck to them because Absolutely. they seem, they Great seem like they're, yep, they're, they're getting some stuff done right. Thank you, too, to our producers. We appreciate them so much. Remember to tune in every Friday at 1 o'clock Eastern time to listen to our live broadcast. And you can also, if you want to listen to any of our previous podcasts, you can go to leaderdialogue.com slash podcast. And I should mention our producers. I just said producers. That's not fair. They're, they're with us every week. Mike, Trey, and Nat. I'm Duffy Dixon. We'll see you next week for Leader Dialogue on Business Radio X. Awesome.
0: Thanks, Tuffy.